glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. And if you would please, Isaiah chapter 9, we'll show respect for the Word of God. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now, if you would, Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. And again, our focus is on the Lord Jesus as the Counselor. His name is Counselor. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners which were in the other ship that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished and all that were with him at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. Thank you. You may be seated. I was thinking, after hearing the lesson in Sunday school, and if you missed that, then you missed out. Amen? You always miss out when you're not under the Word of God and you have an opportunity to be. And so a good challenge from God's Word about being a laborer in the harvest field. But I was thinking about the illustration, and if you missed that, I'll try to, I'll try to help you understand the illustration. Chris was using illustration Sunday school about the condition of the sheep or reflection on the shepherd. And he used Subway restaurant he went to one time, and it changed because it was under new management, Right. Now, that is absolutely the case. There's two, two sides to that, right? Number one, you have a manager that is a good manager. And there's another side of that. There are employees who do what the manager says. Um, one of the keys of management is getting those who are under your care to follow the instruction or counsel. Counsel is not just advice you can reject if you want to. It can also mean instruction. I'll give some definitions here in a minute. So what plugs in the skills of a good manager is when those under his management trust him enough to do what he tells them. Amen? When you have that relationship taking place, it's a beautiful thing. Proverbs says, A wiser prover upon obedient ears like an earring of gold. I think is what it said. It's a beautiful thing when you have a wise manager and someone who knows how to be managed. I've been saved now for... 38 years, 
And I still pray on a regular basis, Lord, please teach me how to be an obedient disciple. And I mean that sincerely. Obeying and being managed does not come natural. Not to any person in this room. If you don't believe that, watch any three-year-old you know, including one of mine, or a four-year-old, and you'll know that doing our own will comes very naturally. You know, there are things we know in our head, but we still just can't seem to get our will to cooperate. You know, the Lord Jesus is the perfect shepherd, by the way. He is, he is flawless. He never mismanages anyone or anything. There are those who want to charge God with mismanaging our, uh, his creation. Uh, what a fool to be God's judge. <laughs> Don't ever set yourself up as God's judge. We'll be on the wrong end of that thing in a hurry. Um, my point is this. What we have to be taught is that his word is always right. He's the counselor. And I, I say that to say this. If, if you're going to get counsel from someone, someone that is going to advise the decisions of your life, how many of you want just anybody giving you counsel? But let's say you, you purposely selected, in my life there are some people when I have some things I, I need help with, I know I can trust to speak the truth to me, and, and tell me what I need to hear. And give me some counsel, some advice, some instruction. I would do this and this and this if I were in your shoes. But I promise you, that's not just anybody. I just don't call, find some guy on the street and say, Hey, you know, I, I'm about to, uh, I'm facing a major financial issue here and a financial decision. What would you do? I mean, that's where you get your counsel. But let's say you wisely prayed and God gave you a counselor in your life. And they were just filled with wisdom. I mean, they, they have had experience in this life that has taught them. They have walked with God. They've gleaned from God's wisdom. And every bit of counsel they give you is good for you. Still yet, their counsel is no better for you than how well you and I follow it. So this is a twofold message today. He's the counselor. Amen? But it's a charge and challenge to us to learn what that means to us in a practical way. A hearer is anybody that hears his counsel. A disciple is the one who follows it. And what the Lord Jesus, what we have demonstrated today, is that he is, he is teaching Peter how to be a disciple. When Chris taught in Sunday school, he gave us the Great Commission out of the Word of God. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to... What's the next word? Observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. <laughs> He has the right to say, go teach those who believe on me to do exactly everything I tell them. Everything. And so one of the challenges in life, I'll just say this, for, for, especially once you're a Christian, once you're saved, is you'll have people in your life who are going to give you instruction, and there's a challenge of when do I know that I'm not supposed to follow the instruction of a human authority. Thankfully, God gives us great clarity on that when that authority contradicts God's authority, but... The fact of the matter is, with the Lord, you don't have to worry about that. You never have to say, which of his counsels or instructions should I not follow through on? And the idea of learning to be a disciple is learning to listen to God's counsel and allow him to be who he is in our life. Counselor. Now, how many of you have ever met somebody and they talk like they knew something about a certain subject? So maybe it's uh, guns or boats or your work, your job, and you met somebody and you thought, this guy can't know a thing about what he's talking about, only to find out later they know more than you do. Have you ever been surprised like that? You ever been, 
it is a very humbling experience to think you're smarter than somebody else in a certain area and they're talking to you in your mind, you're, you're from so-and-so, you can't know my business, you don't know what I'm doing and they, they kind of suggest, well, do you ever think about doing this? You know, let's say they're riding in your car and you say, I've got a little problem in my car, a little tick under the, under the left side there. And they're like, oh, yeah, I, I think maybe that's, uh, you got a bearing going out in your left wheel. And you're like, no, I don't think it's my bearing. I, I checked that and they say, oh, okay. And so you're riding along a little bit. They say, yeah, I think the guy says, I think it's a bearing. Now, the guy that's riding with you, he's a missionary in a foreign country. Missionaries, all they know how to do is preach. They don't know anything else. Amen? Right? All they know how to do is raise money and preach. Right, if that. So you're riding on the road and the missionary says, I think you got a wheel bearing going out. No, no, no. I, look, missionary, this is my car. I do all my work on my own car. That's why it's in tip-top shape. <laughs> anyway, you find out the missionary before he went to the mission field was a master mechanic. And by the way, these things happen. I'm, yeah. And you, you feel like a fool then because it was not only maybe a wheel bearing. He knew it was when he said it was. And later the day, he says, look, I really think your wheel bearing's out. I'd love to help you change it if you'd let me. And he proves to you that it's a wheel bearing. And then after he changes it, you're like, whoa, he knows what he's doing. What would you do for your missionary? Oh, I, I worked in a GM garage for 25 years. <laughs> yeah. And so that's what I'm talking about. This is what happened to Peter. Peter is a fisherman. The Lord was raised in a carpenter's home. What does he know about catching fish? And what does he know about how to run your life, by the way? I mean, he's God, right? He runs the universe, you run your life, right? And don't we think that way? And he comes into the Lord, into Peter's life, and he begins to counsel Peter how to live his life. Not only does he counsel Peter how to live his life, he counsels him how to run his business. How many of you have ever used this term? Look, stay out of my business. It's none of your I have the idea, and this is not Bible, this is just nevonology, that's all. I have the idea that if Joe Schmo had walked off the street and said, Peter, go out and launch out in the deep and cast your nets for a great draught, he would have said, who do you think you are? Go fly a kite or take your donkey down the street. I'll run my fishing business. You do whatever you do. Stay out of my business. I get that. I mean, if you read Peter and you know him, it wouldn't surprise you if he'd say something like that. But it's the Lord. He's just heard him preach the word of God. You don't tell him, stay out of my business. Right? And Peter was in the business right here and now, Luke chapter 5, of learning what many of us in this room are learning, and that is he's the counselor. He not only has the authority and the right to get into our business, but he has the right to run our lives, to counsel every decision we make. You've heard us preachers, we tell these stories, but they're true. Someone comes and says, Pastor, I want, uh, I want uh, counsel for whether we should get married or what decision to make in this financial situation. Well, this is what the Bible says. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate your time uh, for telling me what the Bible says, but that's not really what we had in mind. So we're going to go ahead and do this. Okay. Have fun. When it crashes, we'll help you fix things if we can. Right? Because that book is never wrong. It's never wrong. But the point is, we have to learn. That's why Proverbs makes such a huge issue of learning to receive instruction, learning to receive counsel. And we might think it would be easy if it's just counsel from God. But how many of you notice this? God doesn't package his counsel in such a way that it's just like, well, you know, 
He doesn't ever put it through human vessels, right? Thankfully, God never communicates his counsel through, other, through human beings. It's always directly like a voice from heaven. I mean, you realize God has chosen always to put his counsel through human vessels, including in your Bible. And, and the point would be this. If I'm trying to introduce the heart and mind behind this message. His name should be called Counselor. So we need to understand that's who he is and learn to hear his counsel and obey it. And I guarantee you, if you're saved this morning, the Bible says, being confident in this very thing, Philippians 1, 6, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. If you're saved this morning, God is working in you right now to establish with you what he worked in this text to establish with Peter. I want you to learn to take my counsel and obey it. Because he is capital C, counselor. So let's, let's dive into this text this morning and see if God can't help us today to learn from the account of Peter. Maybe, maybe through this account on Peter in Luke 5, we can recognize his dealings with us today and learn better how to be a disciple of the counselor. All right? And so uh, verses 1 through 3, we'll break this down this way. Verses 1 through 3, one of the things we see about the counselor is the desirability of his counsel. Look at verses 1 through 3. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. That's the Sea of Galilee. Different name, same body of water. Verse 2, and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. In, be- in essence, let's make this comparison. They had a church service like we're having right now. There were those that said, we want to hear the word of God. Difference is, their preacher was the Lord Jesus Christ. They pressed upon I got news for you. If he was in town today at another location, we would cancel here and go there. Amen? That's what we would do. So we could go hear him in person. Uh, at this time, the Lord Jesus is extremely popular. There were many who loved to hear what he had to say. We say, well, that's not the same today. I beg to differ. Do you know how popular it is to own a Bible? Do you know how popular it is to... Many people read the Bible, especially in this community. I talk to people. Do you read your Bible? I do. I can't tell you the number of people I meet at the door and they say, and they tell me. I'm just going to assume they're telling the truth. I read my Bible every day. That's wonderful. Across this country this morning, there have already, because of our time zone, been thousands upon thousands of people in a, in a building like this. Some, they might just be getting a micro dose of God's Word. Some are getting lots of God's Word. But there are people that have assembled to hear the Word of God. There is a desirability to hear. There is an intrigue about God's Word. You realize all that multitude that gathered to hear Jesus teaching from the lake of Gennesaret, they weren't all there to obey the counsel. They were just all there to hear it. Did you notice how that was worded? It said, and it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God. And that's good, by the way. That's a good start. But James tells us being, you know, we're to be doers of the word and not hearers only. If you follow the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, there were always multitudes, at least until Calvary. <laughs> And the multitudes seemed to go away. But there were always multitudes. And if you'll notice, in that multitude, there were genuine disciples who had already believed he was the Son of God, and that's why they were there. There were also casual listeners, those 
who were considering accepting that he was the Son of God but weren't convinced yet. There were those who had already decided he could not be the Son of God or it would mean that they were sinners in need of a Savior and they were there simply to find something wrong, he said, so they could tripping up and disprove it. There were believers, there were unbelievers, and there were those under conviction as unbelievers. And undoubtedly there were people that were just curious like Zacchaeus was when he first climbed a tree. <laughs> right? In that multitude, there were many people that wanted to hear his counsel. There are many today who are willing to open the Bible, willing to read it, willing to be intrigued by what God has to say. You'll know this. Muslims read the Bible. I didn't say they believe it. They read it. They're familiar with what the Bible says. Mormons have a Bible and they read it. Jehovah's Witnesses abuse the Bible, but they read it. Catholics know what the Bible says, at least some of them do, and I'm not being unkind today. You realize how much religion at least touches the Bible, quotes the Bible? At Christmas time, you're going to see in America Bible verses pasted everywhere. There is a certain desirability. This number one, number one best-selling book in the world. There is a desirability. So I think this point is important. I think it's in our Bible to show us hearing the Word of God and doing it are not the same thing. Being in a church service and hearing a pre- the preaching of God's Word is a good thing. Reading your Bible is a good thing. But when Jesus is the counselor, counsel is intended to direct our decisions. Let me give you some definitions real quickly before we move on with this point. A counselor, according to Webster's 1828 dictionary, is any person who gives advice but properly one who is authorized by natural relationship or by birth office, or profession to advise another in regard to his future conduct and measures. That's, a, that's quite a definition. Someone who's authorized to advise a person in regard to his future conduct and measures. And then he, of course, gives some Bible examples of what a counselor is. Ahithophel was David's counselor, or says of a wicked king, his mother was his counselor to do wickedly. And so a counselor is someone who is giving advice to affect our future conduct. It's not just, may I say this, we have court-ordered counsel in this county as well as every county. Okay, So you have people uh, that get involved in illegal activities, and then they have court-ordered counsel. How many of you know when those guys go in there, or those young ladies or ladies go in for counsel, they go in like this. They stop before they go in the door. They pray, Lord, please help me to learn from my sins and my errors. Please help me to ingest the counsel today, take the advice, and leave here a changed person. How many of you, I'm, you said, you're getting cynical, Pastor. I'm just I'm being realistic this morning. Realize this is the way it works. I will go do my court-ordered counsel so that they don't throw me in for another 30 days. You may think me a cynic. Sometimes guys show up for our church service at jail because they are tired of sitting in their cell and they're looking for something to do. That's just the truth. And so, sadly, many people approach the counsel of God the same way. There's, you can hear it and there's a desirability to it, but we need to understand this. The name counselor means he is authorized to give instruction that will direct the decision-making in your life in, in the future, to make a, 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 give you instruction today that's going to change the way you live tomorrow. That's what a counselor does. And so counsel, the definition for that, um, and by the way, the, the word counselor from the strong skin Concordance, just get a full definition here, is to advise, uh, to deliberate or resolve, um, to, to advise or give advice, to consult or to determine or to guide. So it's all the same, same idea. 
Uh, the word counsel means this from uh, the Webster's Dictionary. Advice, opinion, or instruction given upon request or otherwise for directing the judgment or conduct of another. Opinion given upon deliberation or consultation. To give advice, uh, the verb sense of it, to give advice or deliberate opinion, deliberate opinion to another for the government of his conduct. Notice that. The verb tense of this is to give advice or deliberate opinion to another for the government of his conduct. Remember what Isaiah 9, 6, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. If you know Peter very well from the Bible, I don't think he was going out looking for other people to tell him how his life should be governed. You reckon? Well, the Lord took on a task when he called his 12, didn't he? Now, thankfully, he didn't take on a task when he called us, but them it was different. So he gets Peter. Here's a man who's... who's, I love studying the disciples. You know why? I don't find any one of them was anything more or less than a commoner. There's a lot of of error today, and I've engaged with some of this in recent days along these lines. If you are not deeply educated in the original languages, you're really not going to be able to know what God said. That's not, that's not so. That's, that's deception. We realize that. The Bible says the common people heard God gladly. And it's no different today. And you know why that excites me? Because I, I am common. No offense, you're common. Uh, we're just common folk. But the Lord Jesus called a tax collector and he called fishermen, men that were used. These are, these are many of them hardworking, what we call self-made men, men who have worked hard, were under an oppressive situation, and were making a living, working with their hands every day. I'm going to tell you, you talk about some strong men. These men rode boats and cast nets every day. Not like I cast a net if I ever do catch a fish. No, nets. These are strong men who know what they're doing, and yet the Lord made it His project. I'm going to be your counselor. My instruction is going to govern your conduct. Now, the difference is with counsel is for it to be effective, it does have to be received. But anyway, the desirability of the Lord's counsels, we've seen those definitions, is we see in this text there was a pressure to hear him. There was provision for the hearing of the people, and that was made through Peter's boat. You see what the Lord does. There's a group of people pressing on the Lord Jesus to hear the word of God. And he asked Peter, he says, hey, launch out just a bit in the deep there and let me use your boat. And he sat there and he instructed, he taught the people the word of God. There was a proclamation made of the word of God. Now that's done, we can go home. I'm trying to draw an analogy to what we're, where we're at this morning. There was, a, there was a preaching, teaching session held from Peter's boat. And if we're Peter, we're like, man, I was privileged today. The master chose my boat to use to preach from. Peter is involved in the ministry already, is he not? He is contributing to the preaching of God's word. But may I say it is possible to not only be sitting under the sound of God's word. I'm going to read these verses again in just a moment. Sitting under the sound of God's word contributing to the preaching of His Word, contributing to the ministry of the Word of God, and yet we still haven't learned how to interact with the one who gave the Word? That's where Peter was. Let's read it again, Luke chapter 5. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the Word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's. And what's the next word? And... Prayed him. How many of us know what the word pray means? He asked. He's asking permission. Can I use your boat? 
and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. For many, after that's done, that's where discipleship ends. I went and heard the word of God. God asked me, would I be willing to do something for his service? I said, yes. And by the way, that's not bad. This is all good. But that's not the end. After the preaching service is done, then the Lord gets personal. You see, it's one thing. We're just part of a mass of people all doing the same thing. We're all here to hear the word of God. But here's what happens. When we hear the word of God, it always ends up getting personal. So we see the desirability of the Lord's counsel. He's the counselor. His counsel is often very desirable, and many times we'll have that in common with other people. But then let's move down to verse 4. We see the decisiveness of his counsel now. So, And it shifts. And we've seen this message before, not this exact outline message, not this exact approach, but we've seen these points in these verses before. Verse 4, Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, I pray you. No, wait, hold on. The verbiage is going to change. Notice it. When he asked for his boat, he asked. I, he prayed him. Can I use your boat to preach from? Verse 4, though. Now when Simon had left, uh, when he had, when he had left speaking, so the message is done, preaching's over, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. I mean, just know what Jesus just did with Simon Peter. He counseled him. He counseled him. He said, I want you to launch out into the deep. And let down your nets for a drop. How many of us know this counsel was not given as a request, but a command? He's testing Peter. You just heard me proclaim the word of God. Now I'm going to give you an opportunity to see what you're going to do with it. May I say this? When we hear God's word taught, preached, we read it, the Spirit of God works, he's going to, out of that, out of hearing him, today the, the Lord Jesus is in heaven, a body of flesh and bones, but he is as actively communicating today as he ever had by the Holy Spirit. If we think we could hear God more plainly, if Jesus was on earth in physical body of flesh and bones, we are fooling ourselves. You can hear the Lord speak today as plainly as if he were here in flesh and bones because his Holy Spirit is among us. We have his book. He works and applies it to us. So the decisiveness of this counsel, it's what I began to say in the last point, is it first and foremost is personal. There are, there has been a multitude desiring to hear the word of God. They've all heard it. There's multiple fishermen here, are there not? But the Lord Jesus singles out one. And he says, Peter, this is your boat. Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught of fishes. He gets very personal. He gives a very specific instruction. This is what I want you to do. I'm going to give advice for how your boat should be used. I'm going to advise you as to how your nets should be used. I'm not going to advise you. I'm going to instruct you. You take your boat. We're in shallow water now. You're just a little offshore. Fine. But now I'm telling you, go out into the deep, throw out your nets for a draught of fishes. This is not a command given to James. It was not a command given to John. It was specifically and personally and precisely directed at Peter. How many of us think after Jesus spoke to Peter, Peter knew who he was talking to? How many think Peter was like, which one of us do you want to do that, Lord? Or did the Lord name him? Simon? Here's, you see, what's the application? The Holy Spirit of God today, does he know your name? Of course he does. He knew your name before your parents knew your name. <laughs> he knows your name. And when the word of God is given, he be, begins to make specific because of... How many of us know this? How many think Jesus preached on that day on casting nets? How many think that was the title of his sermon? 
How many of us even know what he preached about? We know he preached the word of God. It is a test of how are you going to respond to me? It's my word that was just preached. And by the way, we should hear the preaching and have enough confidence if he's the one proclaiming the word. That's his word. I'll do whatever he says. But, but Peter wasn't quite there yet. So the Lord says, launch out into the deep, cast your nets for drop. The, the, first of all, the counsel, uh, it's, we say it's decisive because it was personal. Number two, how many of us think Peter didn't understand what he was supposed to do? Um, so you want me to stay right here and cast my nets? I mean, do you realize how precise this got? I want you to leave where you are. I want you to go back out there into the sea where it's deep, knowing Peter understood all the terms. Launch out into the deep and cast your nets for a draw. Peter understood every term Jesus used. He understood exactly what the Lord was telling him to do. There was no confusion in his mind. It was precise. One of the... Should I use the word frustration? I might get in trouble with Sunday school lesson. Uh, frustrations. One of the frustrations that I do have in my, in, in, as, a, as a preacher and just as a Christian in general is the behavior of so many professed Christians today like no one can be sure what the Bible means. We all, well, we think we know what it says. It just depends on which Bible you're using. We're pretty sure we know what it says, Think we think. But if we know what it says, we hope we know what it means. And if you pretend you know what it means, you are bad. Bad, bad. You can't know, you can't know for sure that Isaiah 7, 14 was supposed to be translated virgin, not young woman. That's what you say. That's your truth. But I think it should say young woman. And because you're not a linguist, you can't say that with authority. You know, it can because that's what the Holy Spirit of God said. And it's what he preserved. And it's what we know. And that's not arrogance. That's called faith. Amen? Faith will destroy arrogance because it reveals we're not smart and God is. My point is this. There are many days that we act like we don't know what God wants us to do. We only get there, especially if we're saved, if we came to a place where he told us plainly and we didn't do it. Then we get to the place where it's like, isn't that what happened with King Saul? How many of you know that King Saul knew exactly what he was supposed to do when God sent him to the Amalekites? He knew. Why then did he not have, know how to go to battle in 1 Samuel 30? He didn't know what to do. He didn't know. Am I supposed to fight him? Am I not? What am I supposed to do? Why did he not know in 1 Samuel 30 when he knew so plainly in 1 Samuel 15? Because in 1 Samuel 15, when God said, go do this, he said, I won't. Because the people, and I won't, because, and when he stopped doing what God told him plainly to do, he no longer could understand what God wanted him to do. I want to tell you, a lot of the spiritual blindness in our nation today is due to this. There are a lot of born-again people that have lost the vision we heard about in Sunday school because when given the vision, we did not obey it. We walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship. We walk in darkness when he's given us light. We've lost fellowship and then we lose communication. So this morning, as counselor, his word is precise. Here's my, and I want to be gentle and kind about this. So I want to encourage, or let me choose a Bible word. I want to exhort you. If you have something in your life today that is plain, crystal clear from the word of God, God has personally and precisely spoken to you and said, this is what I want you to do. My, my encouragement, my exhortation to you is just do what he tells you. He is counselor. By the way, that begins when you're this tall. 
six-year-olds in this room know God wants you to obey mom and daddy. Amen? We know that. So if we walk in the clear light, you know what? Peter didn't know if he would catch fish. He was pretty sure he wouldn't. But he did know what the Lord counseled him to do, did he not? He did know that. He didn't didn't necessarily agree with what he was counseled to do, but he did know very clearly what God was telling him to do. The Word of God begins broad, but it ends narrow. I hope you'll digest what I just said. Begins broad. Whosoever will. Isn't that broad? Let him take the water of life freely. It ends narrow, doesn't it? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. My goodness, that's everybody. All eight billion. And everybody's been before us. Then it says that whosoever. Isn't that narrow? Believe in him should not perish. But have everlasting life. It begins broadly applied and then it makes application. You're in that group. That means this applies to you. And so then, the Word of God, the decisiveness of Jesus' counsel, it was, it was personal. It was directed specifically to Peter. Say, so why Peter? Because he's counselor. He has the wisdom to know which one of them to tell to do this. That's so we, we can learn 2,000 years later how to interact with him as counselor. Amen? Uh, personal, precise. But you know what else is in his counsel? It was promising. Now, if you asked Peter... Doesn't his counsel you give you great hope? What would Peter have said? No, it doesn't give me great hope. I just washed them. I don't want to dirty my nets again. We just finished washing our nets. There's no hope in that counsel. Maybe lunacy, but not hope. I'm not reading between the lines here. That's absolutely what's there in the context of Scripture. The Lord Jesus, in the broad daylight, says, "Cast out, launch out of the deep, cast out your nets for a great draught of fishes. But isn't that what Jesus said? If you, you go and catch a great draught of fishes, in the Lord's counsel is a promise of the fruit of obedience. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. I'm gonna use, I'll use marriage as an example because... Any married person, you're going to have marriage challenges. I'm not going to say marriage problems. People, I heard somebody say one time, they're talking about marriage problems. Isn't that amazing? Um, a man says, I'm having marriage problems. You know what he's saying? I am having problems. Because a marriage is made up of two people. So it's not marriage problems, it's people problems. There's a man problem and there's a woman problem, which is rooted in a sin problem, right? But you get somebody and I'll, I'll, I'll just, for this, this example, I'll pick on a lady, okay? And a lady says, I cannot get my husband to listen to the word of God. I've told him the Bible is the word of God. I've told him that he's supposed to love me as Christ loved the church. And I just can't get him to be the kind of husband he's supposed to be. I've tried and I have tried. And you say, well, let's let God give some counsel. Win him without the word. What do you mean? I mean, go love him. Go obey him. Unless he's telling you disobey God, do not preach to him. Like, don't. He'll never come to church. There's hope in the promise, lady. He's promised you you can win him if you'll obey the counsel. My wife has given me fits. I mean, she doesn't do anything. I ask her to do this. I ask her to get the laundry done. She doesn't do that. I ask her, would she please take the kids to school? She won't do that. Well, how about show her that she's precious to you? She doesn't feel very precious to me right now. doesn't matter. Love her. I don't feel like I love her. Your feelings have nothing to do with it. 
God says, lovers. Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Amen? The, the, the commandments are precise, are they not? They're precise. And what happens is what God intends to be a promise, we turn into a problem. We can't see how doing things his way will work. Right? The Bible talks about chastening our children while there is hope. Well, if I do that, it'll turn them against me. We're not trying to turn them towards you. We're trying to turn them to God. Amen? Eh, but if I do that, that won't, won't I provoke them to anger? Not if you follow God's counsel. You with me this morning? What God and you, Jesus said, launch out of the deep and cast thy nets for a draught of fishes. For a guy that's a fisherman and failing, he's got a big fat zero for all night fishing. You would think any advice would be welcome. You would think when we fail, we would be ready to receive some counsel, wouldn't you? But Peter's just like us. He wasn't. I mean, you'd think that. Naturally speaking, you say, well, I've tried to succeed in this area. I'm working on this character problem in my life, and I've been working on it and failing. Boy, we should be primed for some advice, shouldn't we? Some instruction from God's Word, right? But that's not human. (laughs) No, God has to teach us that. So what he does is in a moment of... Do you realize when Jesus chose to tell Peter to go launch out? Didn't the Lord know Peter just struck out last night? You think he accidentally showed up and said, Hey, now maybe today would be a good day to tell Peter to go cast his nets. No, 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 no. He's the counselor. He knew what he was doing. He caught Peter in a moment of personal failure. Please hear me this morning. There's not a breathing person in this room that doesn't know what personal failure is like. You know what's worse than personal failure? Failing at what you're supposed to be good at. You know what? I'm a preacher. Do you know what's one of the most humbling things to me? Humiliating. When I fail in a matter of prayer, I'm not supposed to do that. But you know what gets me back on track praying? Sometimes the failure. The Lord says, in heaven, how about pray right now? Now? Prayer time was earlier today. Prayer time is now. You know, God lets us. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, which I think means he owns the fish in the sea too. Don't you think he could have filled Peter's nets the night before? It's even likely those men were men that feared God. They may have even prayed before they went out. You know what, sometimes I'm a pastor. You know what I'm supposed to be really good at? I'm supposed to be a primo soul winner, right? Not quite. Do you know what gets me entreating the Lord? Lord, please teach me how to win people to you. I've been fishing and coming in empty. Now I've been fishing and coming in empty. And sometimes he has to say to me, been fishing? Why do you ask? Well, I just want to know if your nets are full. No, they're not. Well, why not go do this now? You with me this morning? Here is Peter. The Lord is is telling him, but there's promise in it. He didn't say, go cast your nets and come back a fool. He said, go cast your nets for a draught of fishes, meaning go and catch fish. But because Peter is not yet confident in the word of Christ, By the way, when we don't act in immediate obedience, that is an indicator that we lack faith. This is true. When we don't act in immediate obedience, it's because we do not trust 
The Lord said, Peter did not trust that Jesus knew how to run a fishing boat or nets. You do the preaching, I'll do the fishing. But he would learn that's not the way that works. So the decisiveness of the Lord's counsel is personal, precise, but it was promising. There was promise in the counsel. Cast your nets for a draw to fishes. Number three, the difficulty of his counsel. This has already been here, but we'll put it in here for the sake of the order of this message. When the Lord tells him to do this, again, this is, this is encompassed in the text. We've already covered it. It is, first of all, the wrong time of day. The best fishing was at night. By the way, the best fishing I've ever done was at night. Man, we caught a slew of catfish at 2 a.m. in the morning when I was a kid. And if you, some of you catfish. You know. But yes, blue cats. They, and I don't mean kitty cats. Blue catfish. They taste really good. Spring-fed pond. They were Good fishing that night. Me and Grandpa, 2 a.m. in the morning. Good memories. So good fishing at night. And there's all kinds of things wrong with this commandment coming at this time. If the Lord could only learn to schedule things correctly, yes, read John 11. I encourage you. If you want to know how the Lord uses time, read John 9, 10, and 11. And he is absolutely on top of his schedule. But he absolutely does not work according to ours. So in John chapter 11, he's late for Lazarus' sickness and lets him die and all kinds of things seem out of kilter to the disciples. Here, the best time for fishing has passed. It was very appropriate for Jesus to use the ship at this time for a platform. Don't you think Peter thought, what a wise, what a wise master. He knows now's not a good time for fishing. Now was, he couldn't have picked a better time to use my boat to preach from. I don't need to fish right now anyway. Thankfully, the Lord gave me a commandment and allows me to serve in a way that did not inconvenience me. Thankfully, he, he was, thankfully, he was caring enough about my life not to intrude on my plans. I don't need the boat right now anyway. You know, the, the missionary needs to use the car or the missionary needs a little love offering. Well, that's wonderful because we have some extra money right now anyhow. But what about we don't have extra money and the Lord says Give. No, no, he wouldn't do that. He's, he's too thoughtful. Yes, he will. <laughs> he will do that to see if we trust him. It's one thing it, to use the boat when it's not being used for fishing, but now the preaching service is done. You've used it for religious purposes. Don't step into the realm of my secular life. But Jesus did. He stepped right in there. He said, take your, your boat and launch out in the deep. So it's the wrong time of day. The, the, the difficulty of the council is that it's going to cost something. It's, ex, it's an expense to Peter to obey. You notice that the first part of the text, they were washing their nets. That was not taken down to the pressure washer. No, no, no. This is a long, tedious task of washing their nets so they don't decay. They were being responsible, by the way, taking care. These are diligent men taking care of the possessions they were given so they didn't rot and ruin Wonderfully, you're in salt water, you wash your nets, all those kind of things. They had done that, and the Lord, the nets are now drying, getting ready for the next fishing trip. That's not now, it's daytime, and the Lord says, cast, launch out in the deep. How many of you think they were fishermen, their job is done, they can just go and play video games or whatever. I'm sure there was more work to be done. You had to wash nets, repair nets, get ready for the next fishing trip, All that's been done, and the Lord says, I want you to launch out the deep and cast your nets for a draw to fishes. I cannot help, because I breathe air and I have blood in my veins, I cannot help but think the reason Peter decided net, we only have to wash one. Right? Then, it's not, we're not going to catch any fish anyway. So, 
we'll just cast one. Then we have to, I don't know how many they had. And we're not going to be, you know, Peter, we'll commend Peter here in a minute because it's commendable. There's, there's something to commend here. But at the moment, the difficulty of this council was it was an expense to Peter. It's going to cost him time. It's going to cost him his resources to go back out and get the nets and dirty them up. Not only was it there an expense involved, not necessarily monetarily, but time is more precious than money, but his experience made the council difficult. How many times do you think Peter maybe in his youth had tried catching fish in the daytime? I don't want to get too focused on humanity, but I know this. In youth, when everybody else does it one way, you think, huh, I bet they never thought of doing it this way. I will, and I'll show everybody else they don't know what they're doing because I do. They all fish at night, probably because they're too lazy to be out there in the day. So I'll go fish in the day, and I'll catch more fish than everybody. And after 10 fishing trips in the day and realizing you don't catch but like two fish, like, oh, that's why nobody else does it this way. Has anybody else learned that way? Am I the only hard-headed person in this room that in pride thinks I'll do it different than everybody else and show them they don't know what they're doing? You reckon Peter had tried catching fish in the day? He knew it wasn't time. This is a skilled fisherman. So there's his own experience that says this won't work. May I say this? The Lord Jesus Christ is not maybe. If you're his child, if he's called you and saved you and called you to his service, he is going to give you commandments that do not make sense to you. You're saying my experience, and by the way, Can I ask this? Was Peter's experience accurate and correct? It was. In my experience, fishing in the day doesn't work. So number one, there's an expense attached. I'm going to have to clean my nets again. I mean, you know that the Lord is not going to direct your life based on your convenience and comfort. He's just not going to do it. He is not going to do that. He's going to direct it based on his purposes. Let me ask you this. How many think the Lord's ultimate purpose was for Peter to catch a bunch of fish? He wanted to grow his business. A lot of people stop short on God. God puts them into the secular field, blesses them so that they can learn, you, you can trust me with your life. And they say, Lord, I would rather you just fill my nets with fish. I don't really want to become a fisher of men, just a fisher of fish. And they stop short of God's ultimate purpose. God was willing to fill Peter's nets to get Peter off the boat and on the street. Amen? He was willing to fill his nets to show Peter, you can trust me. Follow me. Young men, God's given you good jobs. Some young men in my home. Young people in this church, God's blessed with jobs. He didn't bless you with jobs so you can just make a load of money. He blessed you with a good job so you can learn that you can trust him to direct your life. So if he led you to it, he can lead you away from it. If he puts money in your pocket, you can trust him if he takes it out. I've learned both how to be full, to abound, and to be empty. He said, I have what? Learned. Peter's learning how to have an empty net. He's going to learn how to have a full one and all of it so he can learn that the master can be trusted. You can do what he says. There was an expense attached. There was an experience involved. Peter's experience told him this doesn't work. This is not this. I've tried this before. So the difficulty of the Lord's counsel, it wasn't like, huh, Wonderful. Now it goes from being desirable to difficult. You're telling me to do something that I'm going to have to cost me more time. I know it won't work because of my experience in life. And then thirdly, there's this matter of expectation. Peter, if you know, again, and I have been a student of Peter for a long time, he cared very much what people thought about him. 
You can tell that. You study his life. He cared very much. He cared very much that it would be... When he was a follower of Christ, I want you to know I'm the best follower of Christ. Right? All these may forsake thee, but not I. He was ready to speak up. Uh, Peter, the Lord Jesus had to tell them, tell Peter, thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of... You know what that means? He cared very much what men thought. <laughs> Just like every one of us do by nature. Some, some of us, maybe we, we demonstrate that more than others, but there's not a person in this room that doesn't care what people think about you. And that can be good. We ought to care about how we're representing our Savior and what people think, and it can be bad. It can be both. The fear of man bringeth a snare. And so here's Peter. You're going to do what? You're telling me, Lord, have you noticed how many fishermen are up and down this sea, seaboard? They're seeing me take my boat out in the middle of the day. And if they think I'm taking my grandparents on a cruise, fine. But once they see us throw the nets, they know I'm fishing in the daytime. And every fisherman worth his salt knows you don't fish in the day. Right? Everybody knows that. We understand that as, as, as an elk hunter, the wind is 30 miles an hour. And you're going to walk into the wind hunting, I mean, walk uh, away from the wind hunting elk. The wind's at your back. Benny, we're going to hunt elk like that with the wind on your neck. and ro- No way. It doesn't work. So some guy came out here and said, I think the elk are on that ridge. Let's go get them right now. And I can feel the wind on my neck and see the elk right there. I'm like, no, no. We'll get within 400 yards and they're going to bust. We know that doesn't work. And if all you other hunters see me doing that, they're going to think, I don't know how to hunt animals. You with me this morning? So the Lord says, you go launch out in the deep in the middle of the day and look like an idiot. The Lord is also not concerned about reputation with men. He made himself of no reputation. Meaning he did not try to build this high ideal of I want men to think I'm wonderful. He never tried that. He said, I do always those things that please him. And there are days that men will think that's wonderful and there will be days that men think that I'm a fool. The goal is always the same. I've got to do what he, what he says. And he's trying to teach Peter to think like he thinks. What drove the Lord Jesus and what directed the Lord Jesus was we're going to do the will of the Father. He sent me here to fish for men and he told me to get you to fish with me. So I want to teach you how to do that. Launch out in the deep. If you're going to follow me, you're going to have to be used to me telling you to do things that might embarrass you. I've had times with my children, I give them an instruction and I'm not picking on any one of them. So don't, don't know my kids. My parents could tell the same story as me. I'm not trying to embarrass this morning. <laughs> but there's times you say, I want you to go do that. And they go, just, just go over there and introduce yourself. All I want you to do is say, hi, my name is People might look at me funny. They already are. Just obey. <laughs> now we're both embarrassed. <laughs> right? You know, what? you know what's going on there? I don't want people to think I'm stupid. Just obey. How many times does the Lord say, I want, you, I want you to go talk to that person about the things of God. Oh, they are not interested in things concerning you, Lord. I'm sure of it. Is that it or you're not interested? which one? Amen? Launch out in the deep, cast out your nets for a draught. I can't help but know because it's the wrong time that there's something with Peter. What, what were expectations? What would James and John think? What, what the Lord told him to do was not in the cultural norm. I hear so much today from people 
that are just claiming to be in love with the Lord and boy, we just boy we want to serve God and but you know, cultural norms. Look, I'm gonna tell you something this morning with God's help. Cultural norms have no authority on the life of a Christian. Ever. If the cultural norm is not sin, fine. But if the Lord says do something different, therefore to him that knoweth do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Cultural norms do not determine right and wrong. They reflect it, but they don't determine it. And so we come to our final point. We see the desirability of God's counsel. Many came to hear, but they all left. <laughs> the decisiveness of his, of, of his counsel. The Lord Jesus counseled Peter, launch out of the deep, cast your nets for a great draw. The difficulty of his counsel, there was an expense attached. His experience said it was the wrong time, wrong, wrong situation, wrong circumstances. And there were certainly, because of his experience and expense, there were different expectations than the Lord had. The Lord, Peter expected to go fail and the Lord already knew he would succeed. Now, isn't this amazing? We think if I obey the Lord, I'll turn out to be a fool. When we realize we're one already, we're not obeying sooner. Who was more concerned? At the end of the day, did Jesus make Peter look bad? He didn't. I, I can only imagine. We're, we are imagining. The Bible doesn't record this. Some of the fishermen say, boy, Simon flipped his lid. What's he doing? Didn't they fish all night? Yeah. Then they come back, boats sinking with fish. Now they're saying, what is up with that? You ever seen that like that? He's not that good a fisherman. He's never made a hole like that. Something's got to be going on there. Who's on the boat with him? It's that teacher from Galilee. Ah, that may explain what's going on. This is, friend, this is Christianity right here. The Lord says, go and do. And we go, but it ain't going to work. That doesn't work like that. I've tried this before. Others have tried it. I'll look like a fool if I obey you. When in fact, we just need to obey. And not worrying about, you know what? Let me ask this. What if Peter had come back with his nets empty? Still right to obey. Amen? So our final point, the design of God's counsel, the design of the counsel, We've seen the desirability, the decisiveness, the difficulty, but the design. First and foremost, we'll see just as far as the points go, the design of counsel is it enlists the believer with an opportunity to demonstrate faith. The counsel or the instruction from the Lord. Peter wasn't confused who was telling him to do this, was he? He knew what he was supposed to do and he knew who told him. That's all that matters. How many of, how many of you guys have been in the military? Surely you're tracking with me this morning. I know who my superior is, and I have clarity on the instruction I was given. My part is to fulfill my duty and obey. And we are in the Lord's army, but Peter is in training. Now, I'm, I'm grateful. The Lord's boot camp is much more gentle than the Marine Corps or anybody else. <laughs> and so he says, uh, go launch, and it gives Peter an opportunity to demonstrate faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It enlists the believer. When the Lord gives you a specific, particular command that is applicable to you, it is giving you the opportunity to show him that you trust him. I trust you enough to do what you tell me to do with my life. By the way, whose boat was it? It's Peter's boat. The Lord's telling Peter what to do with his boat. But here's what we must understand. Now Peter is not Peter's. Peter belongs to him. And therefore, everything Peter had is under his command. And so, he enlists the believer. The, the design of the council is it enlists us with an opportunity to demonstrate faith. It exemplifies the character of Christ. What it shows is 
the Lord's knowledge is superior to ours. His understanding is superior. The, here's, here's, this is what this boils down to. When the Bible reveals something that we don't understand, faith says, I accept it anyway. Because his experience and knowledge surpass mine. Jesus knew where the fish... Look, how could you tell him right now in the middle of the day, go cast your nets for a draught of fishes, knowing that he would succeed? How could you do that unless you're God? What Jesus commanded was based on who he was. Amen? Counsel is no better than the knowledge, the base of knowledge and understanding that it operates from. I'm not going to... I love you, Benson, but I'm not going to ask Benson for counsel because of his inexperience. When he's 30, I may... But counsel's no better than the knowledge and understanding that it's based in. God is omnipotent and omniscient. He knows everything. And so then it exemplified and demonstrated the character of Christ. It demonstrated that Jesus is God. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a good preacher. He is God. He He has the right to counsel every facet of our lives, including our so-called secular aspects of life. We enlist the believer with an opportunity to demonstrate faith. It exemplifies the character of Christ. It empowers the disciple by teaching him humility. Where do we find Peter before this is done? At Jesus' feet saying, Depart from me, I am a sinful man. One of the greatest statements Peter ever made. It's truth. It's a good day when we realize, I'm not worthy to be in your shadow let alone if you'd be on my boat. Lord, you should leave me. It's not Jesus. I don't think Peter really wanted to be rid of Jesus. It was, I'm, I'm not fit to be in your presence. I, I, I underestimated who you are. I underestimated who you are, and I, I failed. P- Peter knew. This is, the, this is why Peter made, ultimately, such a tremendous disciple. Not because he didn't blow it. Not because he didn't open his mouth when he could have kept it shut. Not because he, at times, doubted the Lord. By the way, everything is in Peter's and us. It just showed up on him. Right? It just came out. (laughs) So we get to see it. But the fact of the matter is, what made Peter a disciple is he always aligned. Just like David in the Old Testament, he aligned ultimately with what Jesus said. The Lord said, cast your nets. He had enough faith to say, I'll do it because you said it. Now, it could have been done more perfectly, but here's the key. He did what he was told to do. Half-heartedly, I bet he didn't. You know what? John 20 didn't do a half-hearted the next time. He was told later after a night full of failed fishing, cast your nets, and he did, and he drug him to shore, and it's the last record we have him trying that again. <laughs> From that day forward, he said, I'm 100% just doing what he tells me. I'll get on a boat if Jesus tells me, but otherwise I'm just going to do what he tells me, which is the ultimate goal. Him in direction of our lives. Enlist the believer with an opportunity to demonstrate faith. It exemplifies the character of Christ. Jesus demonstrated his omniscience. He controls creation. That's what he demonstrated. Here's the irony. Jesus told the fish to be in a certain place and they were there. But with humanity, we have to surrender our will. Creation obeys automatically. We obey by submission. And so then, thirdly, it empowers the disciple by humility. It teaches us we're not wise enough to govern our own lives. We need him to be our, our counselor. And then it exalts the master, which we've already dealt with. And finally, it establishes, this is ultimately for Peter and for us, it establishes a right relationship between the Savior and the disciple. He is the counselor. 
We're the one needing counsel. He is the instructor. We're the student. He's the master. We're the servant. He's the father. We're the son. He's the captain. We're the soldier. He's the shepherd. We're the sheep. Amen? If we don't have that right in our minds, if we, if we feel like, Lord, I'm going to chart my course, and please would you bless it. Along the way as I do what I want, would you please make it useful for you? Isn't that what Peter was built? That's really where he was. But when you get off and you get down here with this text, the Bible says, uh, we back up to verse 6, and when they had this done, they enclosed a, verse 5 rather, and Simon answering said to him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. Now, the Bible does distinguish. Jesus said nets plural. He let down one and it caused some problems. Verse 7, and they beckoned unto their partners which were in the other ship and the, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both ships so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him had the draught of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. You know, he's saying, I'm changing the entire plan you have for your life. You've had a high and noble goal of being a good fisherman. I want to do something of more value with your life. I want you to fish for men. I don't want you to catch fish and make money. I want you to win souls. Henceforth thou shalt catch men. Then what does he say next? And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. Now, we could be in a lot of different places in this account. We could be one of the multitude sitting just listening to the word of God because we're intrigued by it or we're thinking about listening to it and believing it and obeying it. Let me encourage you. Believe him. He's the son of God. We could be one of those that are letting the Lord use some of our resources to do his work. That's wonderful. It's a good starting point. We could be someone that has failed at what we ought to succeed at. Someone who's failed somewhere in life that we, we have the experience, we have the know-how, but we're failing anyway. You know what? We ought to be listening then. What's the Lord telling me next then? Because in our moment of failure, we are ready at that point to receive some counsel if we will. If we will. It's often when God speaks... Following personal failure, he's got us to a point where, you know, what, what could Peter say? Don't tell me how to fish. I catch fish every night. Not last night. Not last night. Boy, we work hard not to fail at anything, but sometimes God is going to intervene and make sure we do so he can get our attention. And he says, cast out your net, launch out the deep, cast out your nets. Now, by the way, what was damaged in this other than a broken net? Now, I'll be honest with you. And, I, and it's, it saddens me to say this because I'm, I'm learning how to follow the Lord. I'm afraid if I were the Lord Jesus and I knew I was the Lord Jesus. And I said, launch out in the deep, cast your nets for a draw to fishes. And Peter's like, Lord, we toiled all night. I think I'd cut him off right mid-sentence. I didn't say, I didn't ask you what you did. I said, launch out in the deep. Now do what you're told already. How many of you are glad for the gentleness of Jesus Christ? Hmm. I'm glad he's more gentle than me. I hope I can learn to be like him. But this morning, here's what I would say. Whatever he's pointing to you and saying, this is what you, from his word, by the way, if it's, I, I don't know. No, no, no. When he speaks, you know. Amen? He takes his word. He says, that is you. This is what I want you to do. When he does, then what do we do? Just obey. When this is all said and done, you've got a broken net that can be mended. 
and a broken net that can be mended. But what you have is a disciple that has learned, you know, when he gives a commandment, we should listen. And Jesus says, I want you to leave your ships. We find that in Matthew 4 and Luke 4. Come follow me. They left their ship. They left their net. James and John left their dad. And they said, he is worthy of trust. We'll follow him. That's discipleship. That's discipleship. Peter would finally, there's multiple times the Lord would tell Peter, follow me. He'd tell him over and over, Peter, follow me. Follow me. But if you're here this morning, this is a message for saved people. You could be here this morning, you've not yet received the gift of eternal life. Don't let the message pass you by. The one who is worthy for those who've been saved by him to follow is worthy of your trust to forgive your sins. If you've not yet trusted Christ to save you and forgive your sins, he is worthy of your trust. Trust him today. For so many here today, you say, man, this message resonates. It's because you're saved. And the Lord is working in your life. He's working in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. In John chapter 20, Peter had been out all night with the other disciples fishing. And the Lord said, Cassian, have you any fish? Boy, what a question can do. No. Cassianette's on the right side of the ship. And John says, it's the master. Peter, all of a sudden, He's deciding he needs to get off the ship. They cast the net. My point is this. No hesitation next time. No broken nets next time. He's learning. He needs to be obeyed. Then you come Acts chapter 2. And who is it God uses to preach Pentecost? And Acts 4, who is it that is used to preach and reach thousands of souls? It cost many souls. The ship was sinking. <laughs> God had distributed them other places. My point is this. The Lord is counselor. Let's learn to obey his counselor. Mm-hmm.